So, 6.30 this morning, I get a phone call from Terry saying, I'm not going to be able to do this today, so you have three hours to uh, prepare Sunday school and a message. Good luck. (laughs) That wasn't exactly what he said, but uh, that's what I took from it. (laughs) The very disturbing message that I as I'm woken up by the phone ringing. So, (laughs) anyway, let's get to it. Let us pray, and we will begin. We're going to be reading out of Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Father, thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit works in us. Lord, those of us who are yours, we have the spirit of the ever-living God. Lord, uh, I'm so thankful. Lord, I ask that your spirit speaks through me today. Lord, you know that I have studied this, Lord, but to prepare a message out of it. God, that's a whole nother animal. Lord, I know that you speak. Lord, I ask that it would be you, not myself, speaking today. As always, thank you, Lord. Amen. Galatians 2, 1-10. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed Nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually works for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Brothers and sisters, a little bit of background here in the book of Galatians. The Galatians were embracing a false teaching of the gospel. It says you must do the traditions of the law and be circumcised 
to be saved. These people that were coming into the church were Judaizers. They were coming from Judea, as we will see later on here. And they were coming to these people after Paul had brought them the gospel. And they were saying, essentially, that if you have not fulfilled the law, if you have not been circumcised, if you have not become a Jew first, then you cannot be saved. That is a heresy out of the pit of hell. I'm here to tell you that right now. So what's going on here is Paul has having to deal with these people coming into the church. And he is now going up to Jerusalem to confirm that what is being taught here by these Judaizers is completely and totally wrong. It's of no profit to us or to the Gentiles. So if we go to Acts 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When he says, unless you are circumcised, what he's talking about here is he's talking about your fulfillment of the law. He's saying that uh, these things, according to what the law of Moses has given, you have to do them. If you don't do them, you have no standing being a Christian. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So as we looked in the book of Galatians here, this is where we're at. So Paul has come against these people. He's had dissension and debate with them. And he is, it's been determined that they're going to go up to Jerusalem concerning this issue. Seeing as the church in Jerusalem was the uh, first church that was set up. And what's going on is, a little bit of background, is that Paul was going out, or was at the stoning of Stephen... Paul started persecuting the church. At the time, his name was Saul. And what happened was, is he started arresting Christians, and the church scattered throughout different regions of the world. And in doing that, the church is growing. So these people that are have become saved, they're Christians, they've moved out into other regions of the world, including Galatia here, they're bringing the gospel to those places. In doing so, through the divine work of God, the persecution of the church has created it to grow outside of the central beginnings in Jerusalem, where Peter had preached several messages and several thousand people came to salvation. So now what we're looking at is we're at this point where Paul has, 
He's been converted. Christ saved him on the road to Damascus. And now he is an apostle to the Gentiles. And he has taken the word out to these churches in the region called Galatia. So he has come across these men from Judea. And they are preaching a false gospel to these people he's already brought the gospel to. And they are convincing these people that they are not truly saved until they have fulfilled these works of the law. Okay? So now, we're right at the point where Paul is in Jerusalem now, in our text in Acts. And we move on in our text in Galatians, and we move on in Acts here. Uh, 15 verse 3, Before, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So now we are running there on their way to Jerusalem. They're running into these Judaizers, the sect of the Pharisees. And they're saying they're coming against Paul and saying it's necessary to circumcise these Gentiles. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the peoples kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication, and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from the ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. 
So we have these Judaizers. They've come. They're now debating Paul in Jerusalem that you have to be circumcised to be saved. You have to follow the laws of the Jews, even if you weren't a Jew to begin with. These are false teachers. To be saved is not to follow the law. To be saved is to be saved by Christ. The law is to show you that you need that salvation. We see Paul in Galatians 2.4. Back to our text here really quick. He's describing these men as false brethren. He said, But it was because of these false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Paul is saying that these people are false teachers. They're false teachers. They come into the church. They're telling you lies. And they've sneaked in to spy out your liberty in order to bring us into bondage, to bring us into bondage of the law, of the things that we cannot fulfill. We cannot, in and of ourselves, we cannot fulfill the law. We can't do it. There's no way you you break one part of the law, it's done. Okay? But they're saying that you have to fulfill the law, you have to hold it. Paul says, no. They're doing this to bring division in the church. They're doing this to bring you into bondage, to make you believe that you are not saved. We see these false teachers and we're warned of them in many places. Let's turn to the book of Jude, verse 4. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In this, we also see a warning in many other places in Scripture where there's warning of false teachers infiltrating the church. We see Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. Peter comes out and says, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. One commonality you see with these false teachers is they come in secretly. They act like people in the church. They act like they know what they're talking about. And then they bring in something that seems right, but it's complete and total heresy. It's a complete and total lie. These people are subject to, it calls it a destruction. Many places in Scripture it's called anathema. It's a 
horrible, horrible judgment that is very specific and it is very terrible that is assigned to those who have brought in false teachings into the church and who are trying to sway the brethren away from Christ. So we see here, just to get a little more with this, we see that Paul and Barnabas had a great debate and dissension with these false teachers. Acts 15.2, as we see, it says, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Galatians 2, 5, and 6 lines up with this, where it says, But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. He's also showing that not only did he have a debate with these people, but he also shows that these people were considered to be of quote-unquote high reputation. And he says that they contributed nothing. They contributed nothing to him. They're not of high reputation. He's Paul has his great sarcasm there, <laughs> which I, I love. So now we look at this argument that Paul is making. And he has said that the same God has been bringing the Gentiles to salvation as is the same God that has brought the Jews to salvation. He says, verses 7 through 9 of Galatians 2, he makes a statement that it's the same God that works in the Gentiles as the Jews. And he shows that the same Holy Spirit works through Peter to bring Christ to the Jews is the same one that works through Paul to bring Christ to the Gentiles. So we look at this, verses 7 through 9, and it says here, to show that, it says, But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, that's the Holy Spirit working through Peter, and God and the Holy Spirit, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were, were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of the fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is documented here that is recognized that this is the same Spirit working in Paul and Peter going out to different people, going out to do two different groups. And let's be honest, there's two people in the world. There's either Jews or Gentiles. Spiritually, there's either Jews or Gentiles 
You either have been of the line of the Jews and everybody else is Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. <laughs> okay? I'm pre- pretty sure everybody here is Gentiles. Okay? I don't know what your background is for sure, but I can pretty safely say that here. So, this is confirmed that the same Spirit who has effectually worked through Peter to the salvation of the circumcised, who is the Jews, also works through Paul to the Gentiles. And it is recognized by James, Peter, who is Cephas here, and John, who were pillars of the church. And they gave him Barnabas to go with him back to the Gentiles so that he can preach again after he's confirmed he's not on the wrong track. He can go back to the Gentiles and preach the word to the Gentiles and they can be saved. And Peter, it says, can go back to the circumcised. We look also as another confirmation that the Gentiles can be saved along with the Jews is back in Acts, the judgment of James. This was basically the judgment concerning the issue that was brought forth. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He is the, or was, the uh, head of the church in Jerusalem. And so they were bringing this in front of the council of Jerusalem, which would have included James at the time, who was head of the church in Jerusalem. Acts fifteen thirteen through 20, James is speaking on this matter. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And what he is going to proclaim here is actually uh, out of the book of Amos. And it says, After these things I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, we're talking, James is saying again, therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. So we have this confirmation also that, yes, the Gentiles can be saved without having to be circumcised, without having to be following the law before they can be recognized as saved. And they back it up with other scripture out of the book of Amos. And James proclaims, that he has this judgment not to cause trouble for Paul or anybody who is with him 
going out and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles who are turning to God. So we've been talking about the law here. And we, we ask, what's the purpose of the law? Back to Galatians, and I just flipped to Ephesians. Back to Galatians, we see in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul is showing the intentions of the law, what the law is for. Starting in verse 15, we're going to go verse 15 through 29. Brothers and sisters, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. So he, right now he's speaking in terms, in human terms that we can understand. He says, when there's man's contract, when a man has a contract, he goes by that contract. And when it's been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. So once you've signed that contract, you're bound to that contract. He says, once that contract's been signed, you're bound to it. No one's going to change it. Okay? Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, and as one would in referring to many, but rather as in referring to one, and and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify it. So, he's saying that we have this contract, Abraham had this contract with God, God set forth saying, I'm promising to do this. And he's saying, 430 years later, when the law comes about, he's not changing the contract to say, well, now you have to go and uh, do all these things to be justified. No, he's saying, Abraham... I gave you a promise. I gave you this contract and you are justified because of me with this contract, with this covenant that I have given you. And the law will not nullify that. He goes on, for if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Now, Yes, Abraham was circumcised. But his circumcision was in obedience to God and it was a sign to show that he was of God. That God gave him that promise. It was the signing, basically like the signing of the contract. That he agreed that, yes, God, you are giving me this. So why the law? Verse 19, it was added on account of the violations having been ordered through angels at the hand of a mediator until the seed 
would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, but God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Far from it. For if a law had been given that was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has confined everyone under sin, so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to a promise. Brothers and sisters, the law is to show you that you have no way in and of yourself to make yourself righteous in the sight of God. The only way that the law is fulfilled is through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is there to teach you and me that we are wretched and evil and that we need to be deserving of nothing but death and destruction in the pit of hell. But what he's proclaimed here is that Christ is the one who took that damnation and that reality off of us who are saved by him and we can't do any of it. He is the only one. We can't keep the law, not of ourselves. We're not required to keep the law because God knows that we can't. That's what Christ is all about. The false teachers want you to believe that you can keep this law. You can't do it. The Jews couldn't do it. The Jews had it for thousands of years. Before Christ, they couldn't keep the law. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the great religious people of the time who crucified Christ, they were supposed to be these great keepers of the law. He said they're whitewashed tombs. They're dead inside. They look good outside. They're dead inside. They couldn't keep the law. None of us could keep the law. Jew or Gentile, nobody was able to keep the law except for Christ. And he was God incarnate. Galatians 2, 20-21 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Do you see that? Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you could fulfill the law, if you could make yourself righteous through the law, then Christ died for absolutely no reason. And we know that that's not true. If you try to follow the law instead of following Christ, you nullify the grace of God. You cheapen the work of Christ. If you think you can save yourself by the works of the law, then Christ died a needless death. To show this salvation in Christ is for all, no matter your standing, Jew or Gentile. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is for all of us. The gospel is for everyone. It's not for just those who you think may be religious, or it's not for those who have, you know, quote-unquote, followed the law such as the Jews have did in the time. It's for everybody. We all need Christ. We all need His salvation. We cannot make ourselves righteous. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You are God. Lord, thank You that Christ paid the penalty of all of our sins. God, thank you that uh, it is your saving work that we cannot do any of it. Lord, that we need you. We need a Savior. And Lord, I thank you that you have worked in many hearts. Lord, I ask that we would not cheapen your death and resurrection, your work for us. God, let us recognize that we cannot do it ourselves. And Lord, let us recognize that the world needs salvation. Everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, 
Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Amen.